my eyes beheld an eerie sight For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the mash He did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash He did the mash It caught on in a flash He did the mash He did the monster mash From my laboratory in the castle east To the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abodes To get a jolt from my electrodes They did the monster mash It was a graveyard smash It caught on in a flash They did the monster mash The zombies were having fun The party had just begun The guests included Wolfman Dracula and his son The scene was rocking all the digging sound Hello and welcome to the Halloween special edition of Cult Picks Radio WCPX 66.6 With me, your horse host Django Nudo. And uh, I am the smut peddler from Christmas past. (laughs) You should smut peddler. (laughs) Yeah. So we've got a Halloween special and we've got lots of Halloween treats. In fact, we have no less than 10 new films on the site this week. And it's a real eclectic and fun mix, which we're going to get to in a second. But first, I thought we'd begin by um, discussing a little bit about the philosophy and having a bit of a rant about new horror films. So, so Smart Peddler, explain to us why exactly is it that we only have films from before 1990, more or less, on Cold More Pets. or less. Well, it's because we love nostalgia and we like the movies that were made in, in the old days. And me, personally, I have a pretty strong dislike for sequels and franchises. Uh, well, first of all, all the Superman, uh, I mean, the the, the sort of cartoon hero movies, but, but also the, the horror franchises. I, I'm now with the, with the Halloween um, thing happening and a lot of young... F- Horror film fans are very much into it, but to me, it doesn't do it for me at all. No, I have to say, I mean, not to be too much of a film snob about it, because I do like the original Halloween, and obviously, um, you know, there are redeeming features to things like the original Candyman. But, I mean, especially on social media, I mean, the, the pointless arguments about the latest Halloween films, I just don't have the energy to get involved, and I haven't seen it. I watched the previous sequel and perfectly fine to see Jamie Lee Curtis being older and grown up and still, you know, going after him. Um, but, yeah, I just feel, you know, and, and, and this is where we are coming to the core of what Culpix is, which is that there are so many great old horror films that are not vaguely appreciated enough. And part of the problem is that they're just not made available in a way where people can find them and enjoy them. And this is really, so we don't want to be negative. You know, if you want to go and see the new Halloween or the Scream sequel remake or or Candyman, you know, go and do it. Watch films in the cinema. It's a good thing. Mm. Um, But don't forget that there are all these amazing films from before that inspired and uh, that still are well worth watching today that deserve to be rediscovered. And that's what we want to help do on Cult Picks. Yeah, definitely. And also parts of, of the discussions going on that really, uh, I mean, it's just laughable, but the the new films are also all run through the, the woke filter, so to speak. So there's a discussion about Halloween, both of being homophobic and also being fire brigade-ophobic, which is just, you know, silly. Oh, they're killing the firemen. <laughs> fire oh, it's so horrible. We, ha- we have a hard hard job, and, and you should really appreciate us more than killing us in horror movies. And it's wow. all of that silliness going on. I, I can't bear with it. Really. Yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to comment because I don't want to get drawn into the cultural wars. I'm a pacifist nah. when it comes to that. But, yeah, I do gather or feedback I've heard from colleagues who's judgment i trust on things like the new Candyman. what we don't appreciate is i think 
a lot of these old horror films, they had a pretty strong message to begin with about mm. issues such as gender and race. And yeah, of course, there were very misogynistic slasher films and horror films, especially in the 80s and so on. You know, we know that. That's nothing new. Mm. But if you look at, you know, take The Night of the Living Dead, the original one, you know, it's got a, a you know, an African-American in the mm. lead. And no spoilers, but, you know, but things don't end well. But it's a statement at the end, yeah. Yeah. For sure. And so, to me, that actually says more about race and in a more powerful way than uh, trying to, you know, jam home further messages like they do in the new Candyman, I am told, again. Mm. Don't want to get drawn on it. Don't want to get involved in these culture wars. But appreciate the fact that, yes, you know, it was from a different era back then, but a lot of these films did have a good message to begin with. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's also do. like, it's so in your face these days with, with a movie like uh, Get Out, for instance. So, I mean, yeah. they were more subtle in those days. And, and then again, we all know that all of the films were like, if you had sex or if you were wearing like a skimpy nightgown and went into the woods, you know what would happen. Yes. That was like part of <laughs> part of the morale, in them, which is... Horny teenagers who have sex get killed. You know, we, exactly. we didn't need yeah, Scream yeah. to tell us that. But. It's sort of part part of the of the genre. And while we're ranting and venting, um, rant, ranting and venting, um, you know, the, the same for other things. Like, I I don't know if you've seen it. I thoroughly enjoyed um, Promising Young Woman. Yeah. But okay. if you've seen I Spit on Your Grave, mm. then the new version of I Spit in Your Coffee isn't going <laughs> to, you know... <laughs> Teach you anything new. Yes, uh, yeah. men are horrible. They do terrible, terrible things to women. And That's it's fun it, yeah. to watch women get their own back at these pigs. But again... It's as if there was no history. And I guess that's that's what it comes down to to me. It's it's this kind of amnesia. It's it's this not realization that we have been here before and we have talked yeah. about this before. And we're letting these films die in the archives and in underappreciated and VHS boxes. But really, you know, the time is now to bring them back. And, and what better time than Halloween? Exactly. Yeah. So we we uh, obviously cult picks is a, is a is a perfect spot to 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 do your Halloween movie watching. Yeah. Exactly. And like I said, uh, we've really um, searched high and low, and we've saved up some real gems um, ever since we launched. In fact, just so we can have them for this Halloween, because you know Halloween is a special uh, type of holiday for film nerds. Yeah, so, and we saved up on um, some of the good ones. Yeah, and we're going to get to those now. So, so to begin with, as an introduction, why don't we play a clip from the first of our ten Halloween special films? It's a clip from Alice, Sweet Alice, from 1976. And in fact, uh, most of the horror films that we've um, shared this Halloween are from the 70s, because the 70s really was a seminal time for uh, a new wave of horror film, a new type of horror film. Obviously, we know the big famous ones like The Exorcist or the one that became franchises like Halloween. But there are some forgotten gems. And I think Alice, Sweet Alice is definitely one of them. So it was very much, I mean, if you, as soon as you see the the cover, the poster, you realize that is blatantly inspired by Nick Roeg's Don't Look Now from 1973 with the evil midget and the yellow raincoat uh, and Heroes the Mask. Now, the film had gone by several different names and several different releases, and it was... um, all to do with the fact that it was the feature debut of none other than Brooke Shields, mm. which, yeah. again, I did not know. This this was news to me. Yeah, this is very early. I mean, I, I, I always thought it was Pretty Baby by Louis Malle. I thought the same thing, and obviously that mm. was her breakthrough. Yeah. And after the Pretty Baby was released, then they re-released this one uh, in 1981 under a different name called Holy Terror. 
and it was originally known as Communion because um, just to do the plot very briefly. So it's set in the early 60s in New Jersey and it's about a young girl, um, very troubled, and she is suspected of the brutal killing of her young sister at the First Communion and there are several unsolved stabbings which may or may not be related to her. Mm -hmm. So um, it is... What's interesting about it is that not just because of Brookshield, but it has really um, acquired a cult following as a kind of contemporary um, classic of this slasher subgenre. And yeah. um, and also, you know, even though it's a bit derivative, it does have some interesting things to say about, you know, Catholicism and religion and child neglect and the American nuclear family. But it got into trouble in a lot of countries because of the depiction of the, the kind of Catholic church and Catholic rituals. Right. I thought it was the violence, but it was also some religious things. Definitely religious things. So you, know, you have to remember this back then when the Catholic church was holy. This mm. is before they uncovered just how many children the uh, priests and the bishops had been abusing and covering up for. Less, so. Yeah. You know, the real horror story was actually going on in the church all the time. Um, but yeah, so it was, I think it was in in uh, Ireland where it wasn't released or... Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, Sounds uh, a bit like Life of Brian <clears throat> in Norway. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but what I like about it was the fact, and having read up on it, it was the... Um, it was Ed Gonzalez of Slate magazine who reviewed the film, and he said that, quote, possibly the closest American relation to an Italian giallo film that they've ever come. And I hadn't thought of that, but it's true. I can't think of any uh, American giallo films. Obviously, you know, it'd be fun to have a season of giallo films once we mm. get some Italian, Italian movie, originals, yeah. but then we've got our Swedish ones as well. Yes, Arne Matson made a couple who are very close to the Italian ones. Yeah, so I think that's a future film season. So once we get them subtitled, we put this one back on, and we get mm. the you know a few original Italian giallos. So yeah, that would be cool. And I mean, it's also funny with with what was happening all around the world. I guess when when VHS came with with the video nasties in in the UK, where this was one of them, and in Sweden we had. The, the we called it video violence in Sweden and and it, I I mean there was a moral panic all over and even older films like from the early 70s and even before that were confiscated or censored or or, or you know stopped in that many ways so it's it's fun to see that this is in that tradition as well yeah no it was for our own good but um yeah. Anyway, if all of that isn't enough to convince you to watch it, um, we'll finish by saying that the film was recently um, rated uh, by Complex Magazine as the fourth best slasher film of all time. Yay. So I don't know what the top three above it are. Probably the usual suspects. Probably. Halloween and so on. But come on, yeah. why wouldn't you want to watch the fourth best slasher film of all time with Brooke Shields in a very young Sounds role? Sounds great. I haven't seen it. I'm going to watch it. Make it a must-watch for your Halloween. Yeah. <clears throat> so, after um, Roman Catholicism in New Jersey, we're off with a bunch of thespians to an island. Let's listen to a clip. What are you going to do with this? Just cover it with some dirt. Oh, look at that ring. Isn't it fantastic? Oh. Oh, they buried him without a right guard. That was a scene from the wonderfully named Kids Shouldn't Play With Dead Things from 1972. And as somebody, love the title. I love the title. Yeah. Although somebody commented on social media to us. Yeah, they don't do anymore. They just play with iPads and iPhones now. So <laughs> maybe kids should start playing with dead things again. True that. So again, maybe not a well-known film, but the director should be familiar to people who are 
fans of the horror genre is is the third film by Bob Clark, who did which other films, Smut Peddler? Well, he did Black Christmas, which I think we actually have a 16mm print of in our film collection. Oh. Yeah, he did A Christmas Story and Porkies, of course. I love that. I love that range. Horror films and Porkies. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> versatile. But yeah, and I haven't seen Black Christmas, but I do know that it's considered to be, you know, probably, again, a, one of the early slasher films and, yeah. and that inspired the genre. So who knows? Nasty maybe. one. We'd love to have it up on the site one day. But in the yep. meantime, you have Kids Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. It's also got a great, great poster. Um, check it out on uh, the site. And so it's about a group of um, traveling theater thespians who are taken by a boat to a small island. Um, only problem with this, it's a cemetery for the deranged criminals. And they're going to spend the night there and have games and funs and things to do what could go wrong what could go wrong <laughs> what could possibly go wrong um so they start doing their necromancing theories for fun you mm-hmm. know haven't they watched horror films don't take out the ouija board don't do necromancing exactly. rituals after midnight yeah exactly. especially on an island full of corpses of criminally deranged mm. so um obviously things go very wrong and it is funny in that it's it is this awkward mix and, and actually successful mix of comedy and horror, and there are long scenes of these actors just sort of doing kind of um, you know actor things like alas poor Yorick you know it, it was Hamlet who started it I tell you oh, oh. playing with dead things that's that's right yeah, yeah you shouldn't play with the skulls yeah exactly hanging out with yeah. grave diggers and so yeah, on I, yeah. I'm sure there was an inspiration here cool uh, for the thing. Um, so it's not a kind of um, super gory zombie action film. Um, it's more of a kind of understated bit of the Night of the Living Dead atmosphere, but mm. it's got a very 70s uh, type of humor about it. And also it's it's got a cracking good soundtrack and it all adds up to really, really good atmospheres. So you might go into thinking, oh, this is a bit of a laugh, nothing serious, nothing too scary. By the end of it, you're feeling pretty pretty into it, and especially if you're watching it late at night and in the dark. So, you know, I dare you to uh, to watch it that way. And yeah, and I just I just read up on it that uh, even though it's a low budget film, that the special effects are surprisingly effective according to the Encyclopedia of Horror. Yeah, so that's cool. It is, and also it has inspired uh, one of your favorite music genres. Heavy metal band. Yes, I I uh, understand that um, Finnish band Wolf's Head had a song with the same title. Yep. So that's cool. I haven't looked it up, but, you know, maybe we should, if it's any good, mm. and, you know, what metal song isn't good, we should maybe end the episode with that. Mm, let's do that, for because sure. Because having had Orgasmatron last time, yeah. I think. We, we, we do it in style. And it's very, very Halloween-y, I think. That's cool. Yeah. So we'll do that. And then quickly now we're moving on across the world from the island of the undead, criminally insane buried to the Philippines. Let's listen to a clip from Beast of the Yellow Knight. Why do you think I keep bringing you back, Landon? Apart from the pleasure you get out of it to awaken the latent evil in the people that I come in contact with. Good. I knew you'd be sharp enough to grasp that. It isn't as easy as it might seem to find qualified agents. Human nature is so ambiguous that the propagation of evil is left entirely to chance. There's been a great deal said about the scarcity of truly good men. Why, truly evil men are just as hard to find. Do you realize, Langdon, that if you really put your mind to it, you could be a saint? For our side, of course. Nothing seems worth doing. You want to die, is that it? Yes. So, 
Beasts of the Yellow Knight is a Filipino-American horror film, and there are actually quite a few Filipino-American co-productions. Uh, we already have one on Cult Picks, which I'm scratching my head to try to remember the name of it. But um, There were so many of them. And also they made, apart from making horror movies, there have been a bunch of... of um, female prison films and things like that also coming out of the Philippines. Oh. You know your Philippine Yeah, a little bit of it at least, but <clears> it's <throat> an in, it's an interesting country because I think that it was cheap to to make movies there and a lot of American mo- filmmakers relocated to the Philippines for some yes. time. Although also an expensive place to make films if you're Hollywood because of course famously Francis Ford Coppola shot Apocalypse Now in the Philippines as a stand-in <laughs> <Yeah>. for Vietnam. <laughs> so That's from the dope. biggest of you know, artsy Hollywood films to the cheapest of Grindhouse Nasties. And this was initially released by Roger Corman's new distribution company, New World Pictures. And it inspired him to actually make more films in the Philippines. So I think after that, he did The Big Dollhouse and several other ones. Yeah. But what I really love about the film, and it's, you know, an interesting, fun... um, I, I should stop saying interesting. It makes it sound like, yeah, it's not very good, but, you know, watch it anyway. <laughs> it is good. Uh, Vic yeah. Diaz is great as, um, you know, this kind of Satan with a, a Filipino accent and um, a bit of uh, and um, a bit of kind of werewolfy kind of transformations. But, but biggest claim to fame in pop culture is the fact that the poster for this film, which is wonderfully garish, and I'd love to have a copy of it myself, was on the bedroom wall of Garth in Wayne's World. Ooh, I miss that's that That's a claim to fame. Yeah. yeah. You know, but somebody, somebody set designer, whatever, obviously knew the film, loved it enough, and thought, this is perfect for a wannabe heavy metal kid, you know, bedroom yeah. decoration. Exactly. It makes a statement. Wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. So now I'm going to have to go back to Wayne's World and sort of freeze frame through each clip until I find yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. Someone probably did and put it up on the internet. <laughs> I'm sure there's everything on the interwebs. Awesome. Um, so yeah, so, and who knows, we could do more um, Philippine-American films, women in prison, horror, whatever in the future. Yeah, hopefully. It feels like it should be a subgenre on cult picks. Yeah. And maybe a, another subgenre for films whose posters appear on the walls of other films. That's an interesting one, actually. I, I, I have, I think I have a couple of examples already. Uh, I've seen lately. I know that one of our favorites, uh, Christina Lindberg, uh, one of her posters features on on the wall of a, a completely different kind of film from yeah. from Hollywood. So, or or Marquis. There was somebody on Instagram who commented when we put up uh, Babette. I think it was mm. that you can see it on a marquee in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, that's and a it, great reference. I know. And again, these things do not happen by accident. No, never. Very deliberate. So, yeah. That's I, cool. I think we found a new subgenre, Smart yep. Definitely. So, um, from this, let's quickly move on to our next film because we have 10 to get through. We can't yep. spend too much time on each other. Um, Let's start off with a little um, music clip on this one. Lace from 1971, which, not to be confused with, Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace. Which yeah, is very similar film. titles. Very similar. I don't know who saw <laughs> from who, but maybe. Um, and I would, again, a film I would love for us to have on cult picks. And then we'll make it a double bill. Blood and yes. Lace, Blood and Black Lace. That would be good. Um, Blood, uh, Blood and Black Lace is a great 
you know, villain or evil guy mm. in it and sort of black hat and black suit and sort of a no face. Um, but Blood and Lace is a 1971, again, we're back to the early 70s, um, slasher film directed by um, Philip S. Gilbert. And what's interesting about it, and again, lots of things, is that it's a film about an orphan girl who um, is uh, taken to a very remote orphanage. Um, and this is a bit of a theme running through some of the films this week. Uh, run by a madwoman and her handyman, who mm. are both sadists and child murderers. And what's interesting is the madwoman is none other than Gloria Graham, who came out wow. of retirement to do this film. And of course, we know that she was one of the MGM starlets. Um, Classic who, Hollywood star, yeah. Yeah, she was in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, oh, wow. She even was nominated for an Academy Awards for Best Supporting Act in Crossfire, The Bad and the Beautiful. Uh, Humphrey Bogart. In a Lonely Place with Humphrey Bogart. And, and Oklahoma. Oh, yes. Exclamation mark. Wow. So, <clears throat> interesting film to come back to, but obviously she was must have been tired of being stereotyped. Um, and so she agreed to play this mad woman in, you know, a slasher film before there even was such thing as a slasher film. This one really helped, helped create the genre. So it was uh, a frequent um, film on the drive-in circuit in the 70s. And um, what's interesting about it, it was a very, very low-budget production. It, it only cost about $200,000. It was shot in and around L.A. and Runyon Canyon. Um, and uh, it received a GP rating, which is the equivalent of PG rating, mm -hmm. which means that pretty much anybody could go and watch it. And it's pretty violent for a film. And you, you know, you would not want really <laughs> children to see this, but for whatever no. reason, wow. it was given a, a general rating. So I'm sure there were quite a few traumatized American teenagers. Yeah. Um, or even younger. A, for, a formative experience, and they probably all became horror movie fans after that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it had a tiny budget, but again, it that does often unleash creativity, and it did in this case as well. So in this case, the filmmakers used uh, a lot of music and sound effects from uh, the Free Library archives. So there was definitely a, a kind of a strong atmosphere of 50s and 60s horror and, and monster movies about it. And it's surprisingly effective. But what's really interesting about it, and if you've seen photos from it, and especially the opening sequence where the camera has a kind of point of view shot with a killer walking through the house holding a hammer, that's, you know, such a inspirational scene then for for the Halloween film, which didn't come until 1978. And um, so it's before Halloween, wow. before Black Christmas or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it really does. And also, if you see the sweater of the killer, very reminiscent of Freddy oh, yeah. Krueger and Friday the 13th. Yeah, I saw that still. That's pretty amazing. I know. So all these elements. And again, I didn't know about this. Okay, I'm not a horror expert. You know, Kim Newman would have been able to tell you probably what the catering budget on this film was. But. It is definitely one to discover. So rather than, you know, just arguing, spending time arguing about the pros and cons and merits of the latest remake, you know, this is really a great one to discover. And, you know, then you can really brag to your friends and, and show off when your kind of horror pedigree goes up. Yeah, I, I, I mean, all of all of these early films were so inspirational to what, what was about to come, you know, 10 years later. It's... It's very important. I mean, it's part of horror movie history. This is horror movie history, indeed. So. Yeah. <clears throat> but that concludes kind of the four, first segment, which is these kind of four um, films from the 70s, which, you know, worth watching to know your horror history and just for a bloody good scare as well. Yeah. And coming up... Coming up, we are uh, we have a very specific subgenre of the horror <laughs> genre, which I would describe as yeehaw! Wow, this is the MWU, the Monster oh. Western Universe. <laughs> Lovely phrase. And hats off to um, William Bodine and the makers of these two films because there's nothing like brand recognition of you know. 
take famous Western figure, take famous film monster, put them together in a movie, boom. Double the attraction, double the recognition. Should be twice the audience as well. It must be. Or if not, yeah. let's play them as a double bill. And then you've got four times the name recognition. Yeah. And you're guaranteed four times the drive-in audience that you would have otherwise had. Yeah. And as as uh, history will have it, um, William Bodine had a nickname. So we know that they were low-budget films. Oh, is Because he was called William One-Shot Bodine. <laughs> That's right. I remember us talking about it before. Yeah. So what are the films we're talking about specifically here? We are talking about uh, Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter and Billy the Kid versus Dracula. Yeah. Very important. Doesn't get better than that. No, no. Although technically, I think Jesse James meets Frankenstein's granddaughter. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. But. You know, it was hard to fit it on the marquee. Yeah, it, it doesn't, you know, um, have as much of a nifty ring. But um, so, and I mean, the, the premises are completely ridiculous. So Dracula goes to the new world. Jesse James stumbles upon a castle in the Midwest because they just happen to have Frankenstein's type of castles there. All those castles in the Midwest, yeah. Yeah. And it is by no means a quality production, but it's effective. Um, although I did read that John Carradine, it's who uh, played Dracula, and he's a good Dracula in it. He is definitely. He looks yeah. the part. Um, he just he wasn't happy with the end result, so I think he would have taken his name off it if he could have. But who right. cares about his name? You've got Dracula, Frankenstein, Jesse James, Billy the Kid. What more? Who, why do you need any actor's name to sell the film? That's right. And wasn't he also a, a, a Dracula figure in Vampire Hookers? Yes, Ooh. he was. Yes, that we have was. on Cult Picks. Well remembered. Thank Gosh. you very much, yes. sir. <laughs> yes, indeed. You can be on my film quiz team. Yeah. And then, of course, he was in the, in those strange new shot uh, segments from Terror in the Midnight Sun. Yes. In the film called Invasion of the Animal, Animal People. People. Yeah. yeah. He was a busy so it's a, it's a favorite. He, he was in so many strange and fun and cool films Protestant work ethic hmm. so both of these films were shot in just eight days at the Corriganville movie ranch and at Paramount Studios in the mid 60s so they don't quite fit the 70s vibe we have here but we've been saving them specifically for um, Halloween and saving them for when we have the function on cold picks of having double bills hmm. I am really looking forward to this to be yes. able to group films together Either the way they were shown initially, or the way that we feel they fit together, like Blood and Lace and Blood and Black Lace. Yeah, because we decide everything. <laughs> this is not a democracy. Nah, this it's is a cult. cult. It's true that. So, shall we listen to a, a clip from, well, we won't play both of them, but why don't we hear the clip from one of the films? Now at the next stroke of lightning, we shall have the answer. Don't do it, Maria. You are going too far. No one should temper with the laws of God. Remember, you're always under my 
now come to a very specific uh, subgenre of horror again, which is Animals Attack. And we didn't include a shark film this week. We almost went for a shark film, but mm. we decided to go for more land-based animals because shark doesn't feel Halloween. So shall we begin with, and again, these are both great uh, examples of early 70s horror, starting with Pigs. 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 I don't know. Some of some posters have pigs exclamation mark. Others just say pigs. Okay. And kids, we're not talking about Peppa the Pig here. These are bad no. pigs. Yeah. Bad little porkies. So it came out under so many different names, and it's almost worth reeling them off here because, as well as being known as pigs, it was Daddy's Deadly Darling. It was Daddy's Girl, the Thirteenth Pig, which is my personal favorite. Blood Pen, Horror Farm, Roadside Torture Chamber. Do you want to read out the rest of them? Have you got the a- Killer, The Killers, Lynn Hart, The Strange Love Exorcist. Uh, I mean, it's uh, Lynn Hart, very the strange weird. Exorcist, the Strange Exorcism of Lynn Hart and The Secret yeah. of Lynn Hart. I mean, My God. Do you know any films that had so many different names? No, I don't think so. And I mean, they are also different that it could be different movies well partly to do with a very you know business savvy director this film also did come out in about three or four different versions so there's no definitive version um please don't write and tell us off if we don't have your favorite version on cult picks um we have that's actually part of vintage films that i don't think many people really understand that films have been cut recut re-edited uh, sometimes they were, there was an international co-producer who added scenes, who removed scenes. Um, so talking about the de- definitive version is very hard because there would be so many of them. Yeah. And it's not even like the director's cut. I mean, director was the last one to have a cut in here. It's it's Roger Corman cut or Roger mm. Corman hires another director to recut your masterpiece exactly. if you were Soviets. Yeah. So. But again, this one is about a young woman escaping much like Blood and Lace, uh, from a mental hospital this time because she, her father who raped her, uh, she killed him. And then she ends up in a small California town and she meets up this old farmer, Zambrini. And he not only runs a local motel and roadside cafe, but he has a pen of pigs. And those pigs are fed with something very specific, which I would definitely not qualify them as organic, I don't think. Human flesh. Human flesh. So the killing uh, mounts as um, Lynn starts to kill people who remind her of her dead father. And um, the reason then that we have all these different versions is because they started cutting in these new scenes depending on what was popular at the time. So when The Exorcist came out, um, uh, William Rowland, the producer added um, possession elements to the movie. Mm. And um, then when there was a new ad campaign, The Secret of Lynn Hart positioned it as a slasher film. Oh, okay. So, you know, there is, you know, and, and it was even called The Love Exorcist in certain territories, which to me makes it sounds like a porn, porn film. Yeah. Right? So we had a like a wet finger in the air trying to feel what was, where yeah. the wind was blowing. I know. It's just, or I like Daddy's Deadly Darling. Yeah. But uh, my favorite thing about it is that when it did open, and it opened on May 23rd, 1973 in Detroit, Michigan, uh, under the original title, The Pigs. Actually, not even Pigs, just The Pigs. The Pigs, okay. Uh, and according to Lawrence, um, the distributor offered free bacon to the audience at the event. Oh, what a lovely idea. <laughs> Perfect. Most of which was apparently cautiously returned after it was over. So I can I don't imagine think so. If this if this film doesn't make you want to become vegan or at least convert Muslim or <laughs> Jewish, stay off bacon for your life, then Nothing I don't know. Will. What will. But it's an interesting notion. I I mean, uh, there's um, something I heard is that you know the perfect crime if you want to get away with murder, is to feed a human oh, yeah. corpse to pigs because there's nothing left. They yes. will chew through everything and shit it out, uh, unrecognizable. Yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good idea for a horror or a, a horror movie or, or a thriller. And, and it's true. 
and it happens, I, you don't know this about me, but my brother-in-law, mm. who comes from Canada, um, Vancouver, he lived not far from this pig farmer who did, who was a serial killer and did just that. In fact, I think he, really? he lived within short driving distance of two serial killers. Oops. He found out, must have been something in the water, but one mm. of them was this famous and horrible case of a farmer who killed prostitutes and junkies or drug-addicted women and fed them to the pigs. And yes, wow. you're right. It is the perfect crime in terms of being untraceable once uh, the corpse has passed through the pig. Yeah, I thought it was just a myth. Then, no. But there you go. There's a truth to it. There, there's a wow. horrific truth to that. So I'll, when you get pigs in your country place, I'll get worried. <laughs> and speaking of, of grinding corpses through a pig. Yes. That's when we are segue into the next movie. This was a beautiful segue, and, and you almost stole my joke, which is like, this is a different kind of grindhouse film. <laughs> well, that was kind of a, you know, nuances. So, um, so this is The Corpse Grinders. Which One of is, my favorite, all-time favorite titles of a movie, actually. Even better than Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things? I think so, yeah. And because this one has a wonderful poster of a, of a living person being ground. You can yeah. see that the, the, the bottom part is being ground and there's a, this face screaming into the camera. So it's speak. kind of animated, but it doesn't leave anything to the imagination. None whatsoever. So the story is, um, and it is, we should say, a comedy horror film about a cat food company that ends up in financial trouble. So the resourceful owners realize there's a steady supply of cheap meat that can be turned into cat food at the local graveyard. Mm. But, but, what happens when they feed the kitties with this new formula cat food? They want more. That's true. They develop and a it taste. And they want it fresh. <laughs> Flesh, fresh flesh, fresh flesh, humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, it's a silly little gore comedy, um, but it's you know surprisingly effective. And what was interesting is I, I read an interview with the director, uh, Ted Mikkels, which sounds Danish, and it really it made his name all over the world. So he says, no matter where I go, people talk about corpse grinders. <coughs> Excuse me. Boomers, if you want to call them that, said that they saw that when they were kids and they've never forgotten. It's the most memorable picture they ever saw. <coughs> so it was financially successful, even if they just charged a pittance for a drive-in screening. But with a poster like that and with a name like that, it's a film that sells itself. It sounds wonderful, I think. And, uh, I mean, TV Michaels, he, he was also... He made so many strange films, so it's interesting to watch it just because of that. Mm. Well, it should be said, and I think um, Slant Magazine said that, that, you know, it is a disturbing film, maybe, but it's not a fraction as disturbing as the graphic art on the promotional one sheet of a woman being fed into a grinder. Very much so, yeah. I mean, sometimes the, the posters says it all, or even even too much. Yep. And speaking of which, uh, the, the the name TV Michaels really uh, reminded me that he also made another movie with another favorite title and favorite monsters, and that's Astro Zombies, oh. which we hopefully should be able to screen one day. And uh, that poster, you know, wow. So, fun director. Master, there's nothing like a good poster for a bad film. Yeah. It's a, as I always say, you know... You you make the band T-shirt first, and then you start the band. <laughs> I think it must have been the same with these titles. Like, oh, the Corpse Grinders. What could that be? And let's yep. do it. Shall we listen to the sound of Corpse Grinders? Now, if I, if I, if I take my hand away, you won't scream, will you? You won't scream again? Our animals eat humans subgenre section of the Halloween special, and we now move to a film that we've been saving for months and months and months and months and months and months just for this occasion. Yeah, and it's a cooperation with our good friend Lisa Petrucci at Something Weird Video. Yes, thank you, Lisa. 
And unfortunately, we can't have the whole DVD package, which is shock full of trailers, shorts, just tons and tons of fun Halloween stuff. So you will have to buy that yourself. Yes. Support something weird and other fine purveyors of horror and uh, cult and still buy DVDs. Remember, Cult Picks is for discovering films. It's not a substitution for cinema DVD or your collection. Exactly. And Monsters Crush, The Pyjama Party, is really, it's more than a film, isn't it? It's an experience. And again, we can't begin to uh, replicate it on a streaming site or even a DVD. But no, you yeah. have done so, haven't you? Smart yes, idea. indeed. The, the, the intention of this uh, 1965 movie was very much uh, of doing it at Halloween. And I would call it maybe the world's first interactive movie. Because, um, well, it's a silly story of a, of a deranged scientist and his monsters. And he has experiments with young women. And uh, somewhere in the middle of the film, there's a um, sudden sequence that the uh, the mad doctor says, I need more women to experiment on my monsters. You must go out and catch more women for me. And then the projectionist stops the film. And inside the theater, there are monsters coming into the screening room, uh, into the auditorium and picking up women from the audience screaming <laughs> and then carrying them out and then the film starts again and the monsters are up on the screen carrying women to the scientist brilliant so uh well it's an old gimmick it's a fun gimmick but when we had uh mike rainey and lisa petrucci in stockholm for the something weird 2000 film festival 20 odd years ago um we had hired a um local amateur theater group who dressed up as monsters um, there were female uh, audience members who obviously they were notified before <laughs> what was going to happen because <laughs> otherwise we would have gone into problems with the police ultimate me um, too yeah so we did the whole thing and it was such fun <clears throat> um, i can truly recommend it so well you could try to reenact it in your home i guess Invite the neighbors in a, yeah. in a werewolf mask and pick exactly. up your... Exactly. For your what? Halloween party this weekend, what better yeah. things than fire up cult picks and have you know, an interactive film session with Monsters Crash, the pajama party. It's a super fun film and, and um, it really was innovative in its time to, to, to do this in, interactive thing. I think it's, I mean, it's wonderful. It's, it is. And it's, it's kind of those kind of William Castle things that, that I love of... of you know, just doing that extra bit to shock the audience. Yeah, that's also hard to reenact at home with the skeleton on a wire flying over the audience, which he <laughs> did in another movie. <laughs> or putting electric shockers in seats. And... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was, he was a, such a marketing genius. Shall we listen to a clip from Monsters Crash the Pajama Party? Welcome to my home. I've been expecting you. <laughs> may wonder how I knew you were coming, but see, sooner or later everyone passes through here. Before we start our show in your theater, the producers and distributors wish to take this opportunity to warn you, the theater audience, in the event all the lights should go out and you see a shadow moving past your seat, under no circumstances attempt to drive it away, for it may be the person beside you. You may think my warning unnecessary, but in a few moments, I will be a lot safer in here than you will be out there. Having been all over the world now, um, Philippines, America, elsewhere, we end up for our last film in Sweden. Yes, and moving on into the 80s. True, so it's our only 80s film in this whole collection, so we have 60s, yeah. 70s and 180s. But it's and a very special most- one. Yeah, and was one of the most modern ones that we have on Culpix, I would say. And uh, this is thanks to our cooperation with the SF Studios in Sweden, where we have, um, I think it's 10 films from their library it's now. Getting to be quite a few. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's legendary in Sweden. Um, I mean, to me, it's not an old movie. To others, it is an old movie. 1988. Um, but... Um, 
it has such a status now that the Swedish Film Institute just recently restored it digitally, uh, which is part of the heritage of Swedish cinema. And so, so it's considered a classic, I would say. And it's a Swedish horror movie, which is a real rarity. I, I, I don't think I can count five, no, five horror movies in Sweden. Let the right one in. Um, I don't think there are a few more modern ones, it's true. Yeah, um, but going back in time, it's very hard to find real horror movies, I would say. No, I think Club Super 8 has, has monopoly on most of those ones. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, Skate but this is, a, this, is, yeah, this is a pretty serious one. And uh, um, it's basically a haunted house movie. Um, family moves into a new house and there's sounds in the walls. It sounds a lot like sort of poltergeist or many of those type of films uh, from Hollywood. And um, they even call in a, a ghost hunter. So I would I would say it's, it's definitely, you know, kind of close to that type of, of, of movie. And we won't give any more of the story away, I think. Nope. No spoilers here. But it's got um, some real A-class Swedish acting talent that would normally pop up in, in Bergman or Billy August films normally. Yeah, indeed. I mean, Kjell Bergqvist is a staple. He's been in so many Swedish movies over the years. And Lena Endre, she's a very serious theatre yeah. actress. I think he's, she's at the Royal Dramatic Theatre. And Johannes, Johannes Brost, rest in peace. He was a super, super um, popular comedian slash actor who was in the one of the most long-running soaps on Swedish television. And famously, sadly, also remembered as one of the few actors who got caught with nose candy. That's true. He had a little bit of white powder under his nose. Habit, uh, yep. Yeah, it's true. And um, the director, I think it's also very interesting. I think this was his debut, Joachim Ersgård. He uh, later moved on to uh, Hollywood and uh, became Jack Ersgard, as some do. <laughs> and he directed the film Mandroid for the notorious Charles Band and his company Full Moon Entertainment in 93. Yeah. It's a shame. It's almost, it's just a little bit too new to be on Cold Picks. Unless yeah, yeah, yeah. Exception. But we, we might get there in a few years if we move up one if, year. If we have a rolling 30 year. <laughs> yeah. And um, also uh, Joachim or Jack's brother, Patrick, uh, has always also moved to Hollywood and, and both as an actor and a screenwriter. And, and there's even a third brother and their father was also a film director. So it's a, it's a big film It's a bit family. of a Skarsgård clan. Yeah, a bit like that. And um, also in Hollywood, Jack, Joachim Jack, uh, made um, the action movie or thriller Rancid in 2004, which screened theatrically in Sweden. And surprise, surprise, he also made a very serious um, Swedish drama, sort of drama comedy called Strawberries with Real Milk in mm. 2001. Yeah. So it's a very, very versatile uh, director. And I read that recently he made an audiobook. So that's something completely different, which might be turned into a uh, movie. Mm-hmm. A lot so of we'll see what happens. But he hasn't directed for a very long time. Um, key question. Do we have English subtitles for this film? Uh, no, we don't, mm, unfortunately. Bugger. But we hope we will be able Hopefully, to make them. Yeah. Well, we do have a big Swedish and Finnish following who can follow the film in the yes. native hurdy-gurdy. So they have to and we it. have talked about this before, that we we hope to get the resources to, to translate and, and create subtitles for non-English-speaking films, as we are also expanding into other parts of the world and hope to have more films. Well, since we were in Lyon at this um, market two weeks ago, yes. there might be <clears throat> films from all over Europe, for instance. So yeah. um, we well, do we- need... We do need subtitles. Shall we have a little listen to a clip from Berserk and other visitors? Du måste dra härifrån nu. Du fan, kan man inte sticka? Nej, nej, nej. 
Och då, nej, 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 för fan är mitt hus och min familj. So that concludes our uh, Halloween special with the selection of 10 different films um, for your enjoyment, delection, horror, delight, scare. Yeah, we're almost up to that uh, thing that people are doing now, like one movie every day during the whole month of October. Yes. Well, we talked about that might be next year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we definitely have enough films for that. We did talk about doing something for Christmas as well. Yes, there could be a Christmas calendar. A Christmas calendar of of bad Mm. films. And we definitely have a, as much as we've picked out 10 great films, there's also quite a few films that we have that didn't make the cut this week. So I think we could definitely save them for a bad Christmas calendar. Yeah, for sure. And as you all know, we are always adding at least five new films every week. So uh, Cultpix is expanding quickly with tons and tons of, of new old movies. We're up to about, I think we're approaching or just past 600 titles, that's films great. and yeah. television. So that's not bad having started out with 400 only half a year ago. That's yeah. 50% so, growth. Yeah. So for new new members, it means that soon you will be able to watch one movie every day for two years. Yeah. That's not bad. And this is why we have still, we have people who sign up and join with annual membership, which is a smart move because you save money. And you become truly part of the inner circle of the cult. Yeah. And I think one of our most uh, most avid fans in Sweden, Christian Svensson, I think he watches one of our movies every day and, and writes about it on Facebook. Yes. We Looks do. like it, at least, judging from the titles. Yeah. No, we have some great following um, of people who make sure that they... Um, put up whatever it is that they watch and um, we hope to very soon be part of both Just Watch and Letterboxd which means that for people who love to you know include all the films that they watched in their online kind of viewing shelf or catalog or bragging display or reviewing reviewing yeah Yeah. well and, and also another thing again a feature that's coming to the site hopefully before the end of the year is a comment field below each field so you can leave your thoughts opinions reviews uh criticisms rantings whatever you like yeah because this is a community and not a streaming platform no or not just a streaming platform. Not just a streaming platform. Mm. And a quick reminder uh, for anyone still listening, we've got Anita Swedish Nymphets coming up at Everyman. And it's going to be with Christina Lindbergh attending in person, both at the Everyman Broadgate on the Tuesday the 19th and also at the Screen on the Green in Islington on that Friday. So it's That's your chance right. to meet uh, Exploitation Cinema Legend. Absolutely. And let's not forget that on November the 13th and 14th, you will meet me, the smut peddler in Copenhagen. Copenhagen. At Husets Biograph, where we will be screening five wonderful movies and talking a bit about my book, Do You Believe in Swedish Sin, which is a big coffee table book about Swedish exploitation movie posters from back in the day. So be there or be square. Exactly. But that concludes it for this Halloween special from Cold Picks Radio, WCPX 66.6 with me, about to lose my voice host, Django Nudo. And me, the smart peddler, about to lose my mind. <laughs> so why don't we end with listening to the Finnish heavy metal doom metal band, Wolf's Head, uh, and the title track, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.